welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. We're in episode five of um, a six-part series, so we're almost done, a series called Exiles. We're journeying through the book of 1 Peter, and really at the core of this entire book, it answers one fundamental question. I've said it every week, so I might as well continue. Uh, We only have one more week after this, is how are followers of Jesus to live in the ever-turbulent 21st century? Um, How are we to navigate these increasingly complex cultural times? And God's answer for you and for me is the letter that Peter wrote to these uh, Gentile believers in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, who were undergoing all types of persecution, living in a world that was hostile to their faith and values. And the fundamental theme of 1 Peter is to live as exiles, To live as those who are temporary residents here on this earth, realizing we are citizens of heaven who possess this living hope. Uh, That we don't have just a hope in the temporal or I hope tomorrow's a better day, just kind of this wishing hope. We have a living hope because we have a risen Savior that produces this holy or distinct living. Now, this morning... As we journey in the book of First Peter, I really believe this is an important message. In fact, for some, this might be the most important sermon of all six for you. And yet at the same time, I believe this is going to be, for many, a really difficult sermon to receive. And let me share why. Because I think the reason this will be difficult is there is a myth in the American Christian like culture that we've bought into that causes us to really struggle with this sermon this morning. In fact, I call it an American Christian myth. And in fact, uh, Edwin, if you can go through to the slides and get to the American Christian myth, that would be great, buddy. Thanks so much. Uh, I call it an American Christian myth because of this. Because Christians in China aren't wrestling with this. Christians in the Middle East aren't wrestling with this. In third world countries, they don't buy into this myth. The American Christian myth is this. If I follow Jesus, then my life will work out right. If I follow Jesus, then my life will work out right. Well, what does right look like? It's some version of the American dream, isn't it? If I follow Jesus, then I will marry the right guy, the right gal. I'll have the perfect family. I'll have the best struggle-free marriage on the planet. Like, wait a second. My marriage is struggling, but I follow Jesus. It shouldn't happen that way. I'll have the best job. I'll be upwardly mobile. And we buy into this. And underneath this myth is this belief or this false belief is that God exists to meet my needs and to make me happy. Underneath that, if I follow Jesus, my life will work out right, is this fundamental belief that, God, your total existence, the reason, not to run the universe, thank you very much, but is to meet my needs and to make me happy. And so the conclusion is pain, hardships, suffering means that God has failed me. In fact, I've had that conversation as a pastor so many times when someone hurt, uh, ran into something hard, when they're suffering and going through these difficult times, it's like, 
God failed me. Where were you? What's going on? And the result in the church in America is a fragile faith that cannot withstand the storms of life. And you've had conversations with friends. You've seen people walk away from their faith over this very thing, haven't you? And for some, you were even the one who's walked away and you're just wrestling with life and you're like, I might as well give it one more try and you've darkened the door of awakening and God wants to speak to you this morning. And the sermon title, are you ready? It's called Suffer Well. No applause? Nothing? <laughs> Nothing. Okay, fine. Whatever. That's great. <laughs> I told you it was going to be one of the most important sermons you might hear this entire year, and yet one of the most difficult. As you read First Peter, and I'd encourage you this week, if you would take time and just sit down, get a cup of coffee. Hmm. Good. And would you read the letter or the book of 1 Peter just in one sitting? Oh, we said the major theme or the thing that Peter's trying to pass on is to live as exiles who possess this living hope, right? I just said all that. But what you can't help but notice through the pages of this book, this letter, this written by Peter, the apostle, Peter, the pastor for these people, is the immense persecution they're undergoing. Woven as a thread throughout the entire book is this, this thread of suffering, this thread of persecution, this thread that this is a people and a group, these early followers of Jesus who, who are being ridiculed, they're being ostracized, they're being abused in the workplace, they're being mistreated and rejected. And he's writing to them in the midst of this context, learn, learn to suffer well for Christ's sake. There's a way of going about. In fact, this is so important for us as parents because we don't want our kids to suffer. We don't want them to struggle. And so we guard them from it, and yet it doesn't develop in them the things they need. And the person you are today came out of your suffering and struggles, did it not? And it is here. It is here in learning to suffer well that we actually develop a faith that can stand in the midst of the storms of life. So if you got your notes, would you open them up? We're going to talk this morning. Peter is going to tell us what does it actually look like to suffer well, and then how do you go about doing it? Okay, what's this picture what does that even mean, suffer well? Like, I don't even have a picture that comes to mind when you're saying suffer well. What is that picture? What does it look like? And then practically, how do we go about doing it? Uh, what does it look like to suffer well? If you've got your Bibles, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. He su- says this, finally, and yes, we're going to stop right there on finally. Finally, he's in concluding some remarks from last week. What do we talk about last week? It was really living these beautiful lives in the midst of an unjust, evil world. Remember that? 
And so is living, this, living out this beautiful, winsome, attractive life in the midst of an unjust authority, in the, when you're facing an unreasonable employer or boss, when, when you have a hard-hearted spouse, living that. And so this is the context. You're undergoing unjust suffering. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult for insult. You may have heard Jesus say something like that. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Why? Because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. What does suffering well look like? He's going to give us an attitude and an action a way that we uh, approach and view, and then a way that we actually put it into practice. The attitude of one who suffers well is a tender, other-centered heart in tough times. Did you see that? You're in the midst of suffering, and what he's saying is, finally, be like-minded. That word like-minded means to be united in spirit, harmonious, be sympathetic. Sympathetic is sharing the feelings of, under, of others, coming to an understanding. Isn't it true that when you're suffering well, you don't want to be harmonious when, with anyone? <coughs> sympathetic, you're like, no, I want sympathy, but I don't want to give it. Love one another. This is this brotherly love, mutual affection, compassionate, this tenderheartedness. That word compassion, by the way, literally means healthy bowels. You ever had that like guttural response? Like where you really, it's, you, it's in your gut. You're like, you hurt for another person. That's this word here. Humble. To not think too highly or lowly of oneself. Really, humility is to get your eyes off yourselves and onto others. He says, what does suffering well look like? If you've been around anyone in the midst of suffering, that just, you look at their lives and you're like, I'm not sure how they're doing this, but they have this tender, other-centered heart. Like their life isn't revolved around them or their pain. Somehow in the midst of it, they're still able to be other-centered. Their heart isn't hardened by the suffering. Their heart is tenderized by it, drawn to their Savior, even in the midst of these tough times. It's like that's the picture of what it looks like to suffer well. And then there's this action. Notice what he says. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with the blessing. The action, respond with grace rather than reacting in anger. Respond with grace. Well, what is grace? Grace is giving someone what they do not deserve. Do not respond and give evil for evil. Give evil, or give, on the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. Have you had someone that was just evil in your life? That it just seemed like they were out to make your life terrible. What Peter says is those who suffer well understand there's, there's this attitude. Okay, God, in the midst of this, would you give me a tender-hearted, other-centered uh, attitude toward those and what's going on in my life? I don't want it to harden. I want it to soften my heart. 
And so when the waves of pain, when the waves of opposition come into my life, I'm going to respond with grace rather than reacting in anger. In fact, you could fill in a few different words there, couldn't you? I don't know what your natural response is in suffering. Mine's anger, so that's the reason I put it down. But for some, it's rather than responding with bitterness. In fact, there are some unhealthy responses to suffering, and we've seen it. I don't know if you remember, in week two, we talked about when you possess a living hope, your hardship in your life no longer, your suffering or those trials no longer define your life. They're allowed to refine your life. But when they become something that define you, it becomes your whole world. You've been around people like this. People who allow bitterness to take over their heart, who, who live with this victim mentality. You ever been around someone who doesn't suffer well and, and you want to even empathize and sympathize, but they're like, you don't even know. You can't even understand. No one's ever experienced what I've experienced. And some people just simply blame everyone else around or give up. It says this picture of suffering well. Respond with grace. Respond with grace. Okay, how am I going to give a blessing to those who are trying to hurt me? Now, that picture, that picture seems pretty impossible, doesn't it? You're like, I, I don't know if that's even a reality, Ingram. You're telling me when the waves of life are battering me, this tender-hearted, other-centered response, this giving of grace, how in the world do you do that? I would love to. I would love to be that type of person. I would love for the life of Christ to be so formed in me that that would be the way I would respond, but I'm not there. How do I get there? And so Peter shifts his attention to how how do we suffer well? How do we actually begin to have that picture be developed in our lives? And he's going to give us four things. The first is set apart Jesus as Lord. If you want this to be true of your life, the first step is to set apart Jesus as Lord. First Peter 3, 15, he says it this way. But in your hearts... The center and the location of, of your emotional, volitional will. But in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. This is a command. I want you to notice that this is a command to followers of Jesus. Okay? So catch this. Peter is writing to a persecuted group that are undergoing suffering. He says the step for us to become and learn how to suffer well is you have to, in your heart, set apart Christ Jesus as the Lord of your life. Well, I, I was saved. I can know. 
And there is a step of when you reach out and you call upon your Savior and your life is transformed. And that is one of those incredible steps that you step into new life. There is also this step for us as followers of Jesus to make this lordship decision. Who gets to call the shots in your life? The word master This word Lord is kurios. It means master. It means one who is in charge, who is in the position of authority. You want to learn how to suffer well. You want to have this beautiful life that can withstand the storms of life. You have to set apart Christ Jesus as Lord in your life. See, we can't keep thinking that Jesus exists to serve and meet our needs. Hey, revolve around me, revolve around me, and then when life doesn't work around me, then I blame Jesus. He says, revolve your life around Jesus. You make him the focus, and you say, you're the Lord of my life. Whatever you say goes. I follow you. And then he goes on to say this. Now, check this out. Always... Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Did you know that suffering well is the single greatest apologetic to a watching world of the hope we have in Jesus? See, when you're undergoing things in your workplace with an unreasonable boss and you're able to suffer well, you're able to have a tender, other-centered heart, able to respond with grace rather than reacting in anger, you know what people begin to look at you and say? How in the world are you doing that? When you're able to do that and you have just this, you know, pressure upon you and you have like a, you're going through an incredible health crisis And you're able to respond with a tender, other-centered heart and with grace rather than anger or bitterness or victim. You know what people say? I want to know what you're drinking. (laughs) Is there a pill for that? No. But there's a person for that. His name's Jesus. And he's changed my life. But to do this, see, when people ask, I love this, our posture of humility with gentleness and respect. See, the greatest apologetic is a life well lived that people would actually ask us about the hope that we have. Believers, stop being so tossed and turned by what's going on in our world and anchor your life on Jesus. Christ Jesus is King and Lord. He is returning and he will restore and make all things right. Until then, we are just leaning into him. See, this differentiator between Savior and Lord, this is, is, this is one of those pictures you need to get. When you invited Jesus as your Savior, it's like you're just floating in the ocean, drowning, and you're thrown this life preserver and you just grab, grab onto him. That's amazing. Then you're pulled on to his ship. And guess what? Making him the Lord of your life is you are now my anchor. You're the anchor of my life through the storms of my life. You see, here's what we have to understand. To suffer well, we gotta go, okay, Jesus, you're Lord. See, life is hard, but God is still good. 
Life is unfair. God is just. And he is going to bring and restore all things. He knows how it ends here, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Why? So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior, so you're going to do good and people aren't going to like it, and they'll talk about you. In Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. Following Jesus is hard in the workplace in Silicon Valley, isn't it? It's, it's not popular. You know, one of the great tragedies, I believe, in the American church is not only is it tough in America to be a follower of Jesus now as we're a post-Christian country, anti-Christian Silicon Valley, but what's problematic is Christians are shooting our own. Um, this last week, uh, there was a conference in a, an old-school um, Bible teacher, by a guy named John MacArthur, was asked in a panel, and he's being shot these word associations, and this was this big firestorm on, online, and he was shot, he, he said, what comes to mind when you hear the name Beth Moore? And Beth Moore, for those of you who don't know, is this incredible Bible teacher. God's used her, uh, our women's uh, mama's group on Thursdays, going through her Daniel study. His first response was this, go home, go home. Listen, the question isn't your theological standing. The question is how you're expressing it. When we are responding and cutting other believers down in public, how in the world would a watching world ever want to be a part of that? There's no hope in that. The community of love will be known by our love. Oh, we should watch what we say then. I love what Beth Moore said. Her response was this. I did not surrender to a calling of man when I was 18 years old. I surrendered to a calling of God. It never occurred to me not for a second not to fulfill it. I will follow Jesus uh, and Jesus alone all the way home. And I'll see his beautiful face and proclaim worthy is the lamb. How about you? Who have you surrendered your call to? See, some of you, you've surrendered your call to a job. You've surrendered your call to a picture of a future. You've surrendered your call to a relationship. And it will not withstand the storms of your life. And when it gets rocked, they will crumble. Surrender your call to your Lord and Savior Jesus, and he will be your anchor through the storm. Suffering well, what does it look like? First, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Second, recognize suffering has a purpose. It's not pointless. He goes on to say this, 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Therefore, in view of all this, since Christ suffered in his body. Oh, by the way, our Lord and Savior, the one we've surrendered to, suffered. We're following a crucified king risen from the dead who said, take up your cross and follow me. At some point, American Christian, we have to get it straight. If we're following a suffering servant, we have to be willing to follow him to suffering. 
recognize that suffering has a purpose. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves. I love this word arm. It's prepare yourself for battle. Get ready. Be equipped. Arm yourself with the same attitude. The same attitude of Christ Jesus who saw, if actually I wasn't even planning on this, but flip over to Hebrews. It's very close. Hebrews chapter 12. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now notice this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, Jesus understood his suffering had a point, and his point was you. You are his joy, and he endured the cross because he said, I want to welcome you into my family. He says we're to have the same attitude of Jesus. Then he, he shows us this. Because whoever suffers in the body, this is powerful, is done with sin. There are some things in our lives that can only be, de- be developed or produced through suffering. There are some things in your life, there's some sins in your life that can only be rooted out through hard times. And just as a loving parent understands that there's some things that our kids need to go through, I can't deliver them from, otherwise their character won't be developed. God says, I in like, as your loving, perfect, heavenly father, will allow some things in your life that are hard, but not to crush you, but to cultivate the life of Christ. See, God will never waste your pain. As a result, they do not live the rest of their lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We have to recognize, I may not like it. I don't want it. I don't ever want to go through it again, but it will not be wasted when I suffer for Christ's sake. Uh, Jot down in your notes there, James chapter one, verse three. It says, consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance must finish its work. Why? So that you'll be mature and complete. It is part of the process in our lives. Romans five, if you wanna flip over to Romans five, check this out, Romans five, one. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Any amens right there? Amen. Amen. Now, uh, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this is the part we don't really finish Verse three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. This was the picture the New Testament Christians had. We're gonna boast in the glory of God and we're actually gonna glory in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. 
hope does not disappoint, uh, put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have to recognize suffering has a purpose. Jesus is our example, and we are to walk in his way. And for some, you've been through that. You've experienced exactly what I read. You can look back on a time in your life, and you're going, I never would have wanted to gone through that. I never want to go through it again, but I see what it produced in me, and I, I wouldn't change it for a, a second. And for some, you're wrestling, well, why doesn't God do something? I mean, this world's pretty screwed up, Ingram. Why doesn't God do something? And the answer is he did and he will. On the cross, he has conquered sin and death and Satan, and he has done the work and he will one day return and restore and make all things right. Romans 8 talks about creation groaning and eagerly waiting and looking forward to the day when he'll restore. Second Peter, Peter writes in verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, he's telling us, hey, the reason for God's delay is not that he's delaying, as we think, he's patiently waiting that none would perish. He wants as many people to come to him and experience salvation and life. How do we suffer well? Set apart Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. Recognize suffering has a purpose. Third, be on your guard and engage in the community of Jesus. Be on your guard. Are you suffering this morning? Are you hurting this morning? He's going to say, be alert. Be aware. The end of all things is near, he says. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind. This word alert is to think and to live wisely in a self-controlled manner. That's what it means to be alert. Sober mind is to curb the influence of inordinate emotions or desires. Isn't that the tendency? Is we are an emotionally driven society, and if I feel it, it must be true. And if I feel it, I must respond to it. And he says, no, 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 be alert. Live wisely and self-controlled. This sober mind, don't allow your emotions to take the driver's seat of your life. That's what he's saying. Be on your guard. Pay attention that that is the tendency so that you may pray, so that you may lean in and receive the power and the strength that you need. I love how Oswald Chambers said it. He said that we don't pray to do the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And that you lean in in that time to your Savior. Above all, then he says, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, suffering well, we first have to set apart Jesus as Lord, recognize that suffering has, this, has a purpose. It's not pointless and then be on our guard and engage in the community of Jesus. See, when we're suffering, our tendency is to retreat, is to isolate. Our, our tendency is to stop using our gifts, right? We, we tend to go back and, well, I just need to take care of me. And there's certainly some great... Um, self-care, so I'm not saying don't take care of yourself, but, but sometimes we're, we're just so focused on ourselves. It becomes all about you. And then you lose who God made you to be. We stop 
we start to believe I'm useless and I'm broken. See, this engaging in the community, like when you're suffering, it's not retreat from community. Be a part of a group. Use your gifts. Go, you know what? I'm going to be other-centered in this moment. I'm going to love well. I love how Galatians 6 says it. The Apostle Paul talks about this, that, that as a community, we're to carry each other's burdens. That there's a, there's a burden in your life that is too heavy to carry. And are you suffering this morning? Is there a burden in your life that's too heavy to carry? He says, that's what the community of Jesus is for. And then he says this. This is really good. As each one carries their own load. See, there can be a tendency. I'm not saying anyone here has done this. But in these moments, instead of, you know, the burden that is too heavy for us to carry, we just offload everything. Right? We make people a dumping place. He says, no, no, there is a load for you to carry. There's responsibilities for you to have. There is an engagement in the community and to be, here is my load, but this is overwhelming. I can't walk through this season. I need you to help carry it with me. Is that balance of life. When I think of this being on your guard, engaged in the community, I can't help but to think of a a person in our community, Evita. She shared her story at our birthday and during her entire battle of cancer, she never retreated and engaged. I mean, I'm amazed. She was here every Sunday. We'd get these texts. Awesome text. Honest text. See, this isn't put on a shiny face and fake it till you make it. This is be real and anchor your hope in Jesus. And she, she would do this. It was so, so powerful and so great. She would start off and just share where she's at. She would share some of this struggle. And then she would close with this incredible verse or prayer and what God is teaching and showing her. And as a community, we got to surround them and their family through that season together. And you know what was great? Is no matter how... Um, hard it was. She always used her gifts. She's one of these incredible artists, and especially with flowers. All of our events that we do, she would be here still using her gifts. See, be on your guard. Watch out against emotionalism and engage in the community of Jesus. Finally, stop being surprised by suffering. Suffering well, stop being surprised by suffering. I'm, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people go, how in the world? I can't believe. And, and here's the thing. Jesus said, in this life you'll have trouble. And then we're still shocked by trouble. <laughs> but take heart, I have overcome the world. The promise on the other side. Notice what he says. Dear friends, beloved, you're standing, you're beloved. Do not be surprised. Don't be astonished. What? At the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. This is weird. This is, what in the world's going on? He's like, stop being surprised. But rejoice. Ha, <laughs> uh, uh. Uh, you had me until you read that line, Ryan. 
inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. See, there was this perspective in the early church that they counted it joy to suffer for Christ's sake. That when he is actually the Lord of your life and you recognize that the Savior, God eternal, came and humbled himself, took on flesh, bore the weight of our sin and shame, crucified to a cross, and suffered at the hands of his own creation, then when he is your Lord and Savior, you go, I can't believe that I get to suffer for you and with you. It was the picture of the early church. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. See, it's not just suffering for suffering's sake. It's like, God, you're going to work, you're going to move, and one day your glory is going to be revealed. It may not be in my lifetime, but I'm living for that day. So stop asking, why is this happening to me? You know what, there's the whys in our life, for many, we will never answer this side of eternity. Would you start saying, God, this is really hard. Just start honest. God, this is really hard. And I'm trusting, I'm trusting that you're gonna show me and you're gonna do something in this. And so I can't wait to see what you're gonna do. I remember uh, when I was young, actually, I was 18 years of age, I went to China. I was playing drums with my brother, and my dad was speaking. We're on this trip. We're actually in Hong Kong, ministering to some churches. And um, we went to go uh, be with, uh, we actually went to go into mainland China, and we're smuggling Bibles in. Um, this is 99, so it was before uh, China took over Hong Kong uh, back and this is kind of a weird story. It's a little aside. And so our guide was telling us, hey, as you're going into getting off this train, going into China, we had these backpacks full of Bibles, right? And he said, just walk confidently. There's going to be these conveyor belts, you know, the security belt, you know, the things. Don't put your bags on it. Just walk, walk like you're American. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Most of the time, they won't even mess with you. And so we're walking past, and there's these guards with these Uzis, and I have a backpack full of, you know, Bibles. Everyone's carrying all these loads full of, you know, I have a few hundred Bibles with us. And as we're walking, I remember I'm, you just my natural response was to, what do you do? I've done this my whole life. Put your bag on the, you know, x-ray machine. And I go to take it off, and my brother just grabs me on my shoulder. I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> and we walk through, and literally, they don't even mess with us. We just pass it. We ignore it. We walk all the way through. Don't even make eye contact. And we go and uh, we give these Bibles to a Pastor Lamb who was, uh, led an underground house church. His response to suffering and pain was so radical to my 18-year-old mind. As he began to share about his church, and he'd been in prison multiple times, sometimes for a, a year or two on end. He's been beaten for his faith. And he, he would have this smile and this joy about him. And as he's sharing, he's like, you know, I get arrested, church grows. <laughs> Praise God. So it's great. Every time I get arrested, our church grows. It doubles. <laughs> Isn't that amazing perspective? 
Stop being surprised by the suffering. Would you begin to redirect your life and your eyes? An American Christian myth. If I follow Jesus, then my life will work out right. It produces a fragile faith that cannot withstand the storms of life. And so we need to learn to suffer well for Christ's sake. That we'd have this tender, other-centered heart in tough times. That respond with grace and not in anger. As a new pastor... Uh, youth pastor, and we had a tragedy. Our, our youth ministry, uh, this group of kids got into a major car accident. Two of them didn't have a seatbelt. They were thrown from the car. One died instantly. He happened to be our young worship leader for our youth group. The other was dating that young man and was the worship pastor's daughter. And... Um, she was on life support in the ICU. We show up to come and surround this family. And the doctors came to us and said, you need to prepare them to lose their daughter. She will not make it. And so we sat with this incredibly mature followers of Jesus who've gone through a lot in their life already and began to try to go, okay, let's walk with you through this season. What was so powerful and undeniable wasn't that they were grieving, and they were grieving and they were hurting, but they were grieving as those who had hope. And what I saw was something I'd never seen up to this point in my life. I saw a couple facing the worst nightmare any parent could have experienced, and yet in the hospital, they're being agents of love to people who are going through similar things. They're praying with other couples. They're going and being encouragement. They had a tender-hearted, other-centered love that responded with grace in the hardest of times. That young woman made it through, through months and months and months of pain and surgeries. And I'll never forget that moment of seeing the power of the gospel at work in their life. I said, is that picture even possible? Absolutely it is. But you have to yield your life to Christ. This morning we're going to close and the band's going to come up and lead us out. And I, we're going to receive the offering as a response of worship. And the reason I want to do it here is last week there was a prayer response. of, And I, for some, you're in the midst of a battle. You're suffering and you need to engage in the community. And I want to invite you just to write on that prayer card and let us join with you in prayer. For others, you need to make a step in your walk with Jesus today. You've been floating and maybe you've made Jesus revolve around your life and you're going, today I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Today I'm setting apart you as Lord of my life. You get to call the shots and you need to write it down. Would you write it down and respond Heavenly Father, we ask that you would meet us right here in this moment. Would you speak directly and clearly to each person that they might respond to your Holy Spirit's prompting in Jesus' name, amen.